It may have started as a way to download music off the web, but streaming media has evolved into a multifaceted ecosystem unto itself. In some countries, you can listen to music, watch your favorite movie, call a cab, and pay your taxes, all through the same streaming service. It's not just Amazon, Netflix, and Disney. It's a global phenomenon that provides lifestyle services to hundreds of millions of subscribers. So who are the winners and losers, and what does this technology shift from product to service mean for consumers and content creators alike? We'll talk with Bob Lyons, an expert in streaming services and a professor of business of creative enterprises at Emerson College. This is Campus on the Common, the podcast of bright ideas from Emerson College's School of Communication. Broadcasting from Boston, Massachusetts, I'm your host, Emerson College alumnus and professor of communication studies, Mark Brody. Bob Lyons, you're a professor at Emerson College, the business of creative enterprise. You're an expert in streaming and digital music. Welcome to Campus on the Common. Thanks. Thanks so much, Mark. Great to be here. I'm glad you're here. So first question, what is streaming? Streaming is just receiving media, video or audio, through the internet, as opposed to through a CD or a DVD or some physical form. And when did this start? Oh, well, it goes all the way back into the early mid-90s when the first iterations of that were around. And those were pretty crude, real audio, liquid audio, some of those old companies that started to digitize music and send it over what was then a very limited form of the internet. So it's been around for a while, but it hasn't really taken off until the infrastructure of the internet got more mature. And in particular, with the mobile infrastructure that we have now making the ability to stream via phone very easy and pretty much ubiquitous. So for your average person, how would streaming touch them without them actually even understanding what's going on with it? Well, they probably know video streaming from Netflix, and they probably know it from YouTube videos. On the audio side, they may know it from Pandora or Spotify or Tidal or any of the sort of U.S.-based services where you can get your music over the Internet either at your laptop or, or by your phone. When I'm watching cable, is that streaming? Yes, that's video streaming. I think the, the simplest way to think of it is any time that the content's broken down into digital bits and those bits flow over a digital pipe and get reassembled and uh, either audio or video comes out of that reassembly. That's streaming. So streaming is indeed part of our everyday life, even though many of us don't realize it's actually there. It's part of the infrastructure. Going forward, how will streaming affect how we consume entertainment? Well, I'll talk about two forms, audio and video. Video streaming is already blowing up the industry as we speak. And in fact, there's a lot of action around it just in the last couple of months. Netflix obviously came along initially as a DVD service, but when it became a streaming service, it basically killed the VCR business. And it is in in the process of killing the cable business. People are cutting the cord and getting, uh, instead of the content that cable services provide them, they're just opting for the subscription to Netflix over those pipes. So a lot of people are abandoning that. The telcos that do this realize this, and they're now trying to get into the content game. And so very recently we've seen AT&T buy Time Warner uh, for whatever it was, $81 billion, in order to launch their own streaming service. We're seeing Comcast, which owns NBC Universal, starting to do the same thing. And more significantly, people might realize or have listened to the, uh, the news about Disney, which is launching its own streaming service to compete with Netflix. It sounds like streaming is replacing broadcasting. So as that evolution takes place, who are the winners and losers? Well, there may always be a place for broadcasting, and particularly on the radio side, But yes, in terms of video streaming, the big companies who can 
launch successful subscription businesses are going to be the winners. And right now at the starting line, we have Netflix, which actually has maybe a significant lead right now. But lined up against them, we have Disney. We have Apple, which is launching its own service. We have AT&T Time Warner. We have Comcast. And there may be others as well. So it's it's a land grab sort of at this point with Netflix having already taken off, but some very, very serious competitors taking aim at it. And it's useful to remember that Netflix, a lot of its content is licensed from those same competitors. So a lot of uh, Disney product is on Netflix. A lot of NBC Universal stuff winds up on Netflix. They're going to pull that stuff out of Netflix for their own services. Netflix knows this, which is why they've been putting such an emphasis on original content. We'll see whether they can compete successfully against the original content and the vaults of players like Disney and uh, 21st Century Fox and some of the other players that are lining up to compete with them. Do we have a scenario where there'd be a content producer like Disney? They would have it on their own streamed network. They're also licensing that same content to Netflix. Doesn't that mean they're competing against themselves? Yeah, I think they won't do that. I think that when, the, when their contracts with Netflix expire, they won't renew them. They're, and they've actually said as much publicly. They're, they're going to pull their stuff once, once those contracts with uh, Netflix expire into their own service, as, as are many of the other content providers that are trying to get into this game as well. So Netflix is going to have a real contest on its hand. And talking to my students here is a great sort of gauge of, of where this is going because it's they're big consumers of Netflix. They're, they've developed that habit. They're going to carry that habit forward, you know, for the next 20, 30 years. They have all got immense brand loyalty to Netflix as the sort of first out and the best at doing this. And among the advantages that Netflix has is it's a really excellent recommendation engine. It knows what you like. It's very good at selecting it. The ease of the interface, it's pretty easy to use. Some of these big competitors may have a lot more money. They may have huge vaults. They may be able to, in some cases, actually own the pipes, as AT&T does as a telco. But it's, it's going to be interesting to see whether that will offset the advantage that Netflix has already built in terms of its brand loyalty and in terms of the actual ease of use and quality of the service they provide. It sounds like network has a considerable amount of brand equity versus these new players have content, have pipes, might have assets, but it might create the scenario where, you know, if I like a particular show, Netflix doesn't have it, what will I do? Will I then have to go on and have a subscription with Disney and along with all these other providers? Yes, it's going to get very interesting very fast as people say, well, I want ESPN, but I want HBO, but I want House of Cards, but I want this. And those are winding up on different exclusive services. What will that mean? Maybe people will be forced to subscribe to more than one, but there's probably a price point they won't go beyond, so they will give some up. Maybe some of these companies will start to look for alliances and put packages together. I think it's going to get very interesting very soon as this starts to shake out, as that competition heats up. The market complexity, considerable, would be a dramatic understatement. I can see a scenario now. I've always been a loyal networks subscriber. Having said that, I've got children, and they love their Disney. Sounds like I'll be getting a Disney subscription (laughs) as well. And if you want to watch ESPN, well, that may be uh, yet another. That's actually already a standalone uh, premium service. So we haven't seen anything quite like this in a long time. And it's going to be interesting as these very large companies place these bet-the-company-size bets on their own streaming services. And 
I think ultimately there can only be a handful of them, if that, that there can't, there is not room in the universe for 15 different streaming services. And so who's going to win, who's going to lose, how that shakes out is going to be interesting, particularly for the demographic, that point that you, that you made, right? There's kids who want their Disney. There's adults who want their ESPN or their HBO or their this or their that. There's people that might think that life revolves around Stranger Things and they don't have Netflix original content, they're not, uh, that's what they'll pay for and nothing else. Personally, I think there'll be a shakeout between news and sports, the live stuff that has a value live and the sort of longer form drama. I think those will naturally parse maybe into different products. But how that'll be distributed among the players who own those brands right now is, is going to be interesting. When you look at the broadcast world, you have independent channels. So back in my day when I was a kid, there was NBC, CBS, ABC. They would create content. You would have a TV with an antenna, and you could pick up all that. Flash forward a few decades, and now we've got cable. We still have those big three, but then 500 other broadcast content creators. But it all comes together through the cable box. The cable box enabled me to see all this. Mm-hmm. Well, now we've got a parallel universe where we've got all these siloed content creators who are streaming. Do we have one means to consolidate the feed, if you will, where you could pay one service, if you will. Back in my day with, with cable, it was to Comcast, and that gave me access to ABC, CBS, Nesson, ESPN, History Channel, and all that. Is there any equivalent in the streaming world? It's hard to imagine any of these big competitors being real friendly with their, with their direct competitors. It's going to be a bare-knuckle fight, I think. They're going to really try to outdo each other, outspend each other to get you locked into their service. You mentioned that in the cable days, before cable, there was the television. Well, that ad model was advertising, a different ad model than cable, where you had subscription, plus they sold ads around it too. No wonder they made a ton of money. Now you've got subscription, and that's kind of become the model, and they're all trying to master that business model. As I said, there may be some shifting alliances. There may be things that happen as the, as the people at the starting line start to size each other up. But ultimately, it will settle out, and there will be one or two or maybe three winners. And those people will control the marketplace for that content. As this evolution proceeds, the market will eventually consolidate. But what will that do to consumer choice? Anybody's guess. I think consumers have, are in kind of a golden age right now where over-the-top subscription TV is good and getting better. And it's about to shift because the Netflix owns this, is the aggregator of that content is kind of alone right now. When the others start pulling their content out of it and competing directly with it, I believe that consumers will have to face those choices. And people will, these companies will use everything at their disposal to get you to come over to, to their walled garden. You know, we've heard a lot about cable cutters and the, yeah. the, the cable industry itself is becoming smaller and smaller every day. How fast is streaming growing in the U.S., and how fast is, is this phenomenon taking place worldwide? Well, it's part of the overall shift in media from product to service, which has been going on for a long time across lots of different, not just media, but a lot, across a lot of different categories. So the, you know, people are using Uber instead of buying cars. People are subscribing to Spotify instead of buying CDs. This, they're, they're going to Amazon.com to get eBooks instead of going to physical books. So for a long time, there's been this paradigm shift from product to service, and this is, this is part of that. And it is global. I can't speak to the numbers on the video side as well as I can on the, on the audio or the music side, where there is a lot of, there's still a lot of competition. And in terms of business, 
just this year, the IFPI just put out a report that about almost half of the revenues for the global recorded music industry are from streaming. So no more 8-tracks out there. <laughs> no. No, 8-tracks, I, 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 uh, I, I believe, are mercifully short-lived format. But no, there's CDs, and there are some countries where CD purchases are very, very large. Japan being the great example, Germany being another. CD sales are very high in those. There are cultural reasons for that, the fan culture, and you know, in, you try to buy as many CDs of your favorite K-pop idol as you can to sort of do things. So in those places, uh, streaming, at least in the music side, has not has not supplanted physical. But everywhere else, it pretty much has. With China and perhaps Scandinavia being the most extreme examples of that, where virtually there is no product being, well, it's not quite true, but very little product being sold, and it's all by services uh, where people are getting it from streams. So limited appreciation for the record shop and flipping through those old old records. That's a, that's a shame. Well, in, in China, it makes sense because if you'll recall, during the CD era, there was pretty loose copyright environment in China. It was all piracy, much to the consternation of the music labels and the software companies whose products were being pirated that way. When alternatives came around with streaming, it was a natural progression for them to, to move to that because the, the legal CD market was never that strong. Makes a lot of sense, and especially in light of IP policy in China, intellectual property policy in China. When we look at the growth of streaming within the music industry, what percentage of music sales is now streaming-related versus traditional hard output like a CD? Yep. Uh, I think one week ago, the international, the IFPI, which is French for the International Phonographic Federation, which tracks these stats, put out their report, and it's about 47%. So just under half of all recorded music revenues are from streaming. So if we went back five years ago, what would you assume the percentage would be back? Oh, it'd be closer to 30, maybe 35 so it's been growing steadily for the last 10 years, and it's just this year sort of hit the point where it's roughly half. The rest of that is, is not just physical. I think about 14% of the rest of it is physical. So it's already 47 versus 14% in terms of physical digital. The rest of the, of the recorded revenues come from performance rights and synchronization rights and things like that. But physical product has been outstripped globally by streaming in terms of revenue, uh, significantly. More than two to one. Now, if you're a content producer that's not affiliated with a Netflix or one of these big shops, does streaming offer you any possibilities and or advantages to get your content to market? Well, are we talking about audio or video here? Let's start with audio and then we'll, let's talk about video. Okay. So the question is about whether you ha there are advantages to a content producer from streaming versus physical distribution. Uh, and the answer is yes, and also no. Let me explain. Yes, in that it's very easy to get your stuff out cheaply in front of a global audience. You can go to any one of these you know, intermediaries, CD Baby or others, and get your music uploaded into these streaming services for very, very inexpensively and bring it to a global audience. And that used to not be possible because you had to worry about the physical distribution of physical product and the retailers of it and the whole value chain of that. So that's gone, and that's very good for creators. Uh, the downside is that the money that musicians or creators make from that is much, much less than it is from physical product. Uh, they would make maybe a dollar or a dollar fifty or two dollars from a from a twelve dollar CD. They would have to be streamed millions of times to get that much in terms of the royalties 
that a company like Spotify or even more extreme YouTube would pay them. So there's not a lot of money to be made on the creator side from streaming. There are royalties, but they are very small and they are even smaller uh, for the video service YouTube than they are with Spotify because they're based on ad ad revenue splits rather than subscription revenues. So, so it, it's a mixed bag. If you're a young artist, a young creator, and you want to get in front of the world, this is a great thing. It will get you there. And I, there's lots of stories, and I, I know some personally where this has happened. You know, suddenly there are they're a hit with tweens in Korea, and they're getting calls from promoters saying, can you please come tour? At the same token, artists that have been used to CD sales are struggling to make up the revenues that's lost from that because those royalties tend to be insignificant. So what are the implications for the video world? I understand how, if you're a musician, it's wonderful that you can find a means to stream and hit that global audience. Do the same rules apply to the video world? No, I don't think so. In the video side, if you're looking at content creators, they tend to be larger entities. They tend not to be individuals. Individuals that are making content and posting it on the internet are doing so through platforms like YouTube or TikTok, which we can maybe talk about later. The larger mass media audiences, that stuff's coming from studios. That's coming from professionals and from companies. And they license that that content. So it's not so much a question of royalties on a per-play basis as it is with music as an upfront fee for some period of time to stream it. They charge Netflix a lot of money, and Netflix, Netflix pays a lot of money for the rights to use that stuff. There's a user-generated short-form video called TikTok. Could you explain what that is? Sure. TikTok is user-generated short-form Similar to what Vine used to be, people might remember Vine, where it was these short 15-second videos that people would make, oftentimes humorous, you know, cats falling into toilets. And more recently, a lot of it is around music, lip singing and karaoke and things like that. And they make these videos and then they post them. And it's owned by a Chinese company called ByteDance, and it has an enormous global audience that has exploded in the last couple of years, including here in the United States. TikTok was downloaded the app 80 million times last year in the United States. So it's very, very popular. It's, uh, I think, the number one app in India right now. It has a huge audience there as well, and China. They bought the big lip-syncing app that young teenagers were using here, which was called Musical.ly. They bought them and added them to TikTok about a year ago. So it's, just, it's, it's really big, and it's caught on, and it's very popular. And it's interesting because it's kind of neither fish nor fowl. It's not music streaming, but it is music related in most cases. It's got something to do with music. They're singing, they're lip singing, they're miming, they're doing something with music and uh, something very participative with, with music. But it's not Netflix either. It's not streaming long. It's kind of this its own sort of thing. And it's exploded in popularity in a way that has really caught a lot of people's attention. And I think there may be a generational uh, shift here as well, which is that the young people who grew up with Musical.ly and doing lip singing apps or maybe karaoke apps are much more comfortable with this as a creative outlet than perhaps older people are. And I wonder if they're going to bring those behaviors with them as they age out when they become older and they start looking at, you know, so, so what will streaming services look like 10 years out? Given that this enormously popular set of behaviors around streaming video has taken the world by storm. TikTok at the old folks' home. I can't wait to see that. <laughs> How is it monetized? 
Great question. Typically with ads, it's free to users. So it's uh, typically an ad driven thing. I don't know if they have freemium levels for TikTok, if there's actual, you can get it without ads, but I haven't seen that. I'm not sure that might come, which gets to the other question about it. There's a lot of money behind it. ByteDance is, is basically a venture capital firm. They're not a media company, but they own this thing and they, they're doing this thing. It may be that it's kind of a Facebook strategy, get big and then figure out how to monetize it, which they are already doing. But there are ads, and I don't know anything about the stats on those ads other than that their basic business model seems to be ad-driven. So it's, it, it intersects with music in that when it was musically, when it was the U.S. thing before TikTok bought it, all the major labels were going crazy because they wanted these teens to be lip-syncing their stuff. So they were making all kinds of deals with with Musical.ly to sort of license their catalog for their use so that they could do this. They sort of saw this as a, ga a gateway drug, if you will, to the catalogs that they have. It's not clear that that's happened, but, but they were very interested in it. They were very interested in it, and I think still are. Well, it seems to make sense. You bring in all these people, you give them access to your music, they start then promulgating your content by yeah. lip-syncing it. It's a win-win. Well, here's a more recent example. Are you familiar with Lil Nas? Lil Nas is a rapper. Atlanta, I think, based. He did a song that was sort of an homage to country western, so lots of cowboy themes and stuff, but it's basically a rap song. You'd have to hear it to understand it, but it's, it's this weird mashup of, of hip-hop and country. And he blew up on TikTok globally before he was on anybody else's radar. And then after he had amassed this enormous following and uh, uh, clips of the song were all over TikTok, then he started getting noticed by the industry. He actually got put onto the Billboard country charts for several weeks until they decided to take him off of those charts because he was not quote-unquote country enough, which sparked a backlash about, well, what's wrong with him? Is it just that he's black or that you don't? And it's, it's gotten a lot of press lately. But the point is that he blew up on this completely other platform that was under the radar for a lot of, uh, a lot of the industry. It made him a sensation, made him a star overnight. What are the demographics of your TikTok audience? I don't have hard data, but I'm almost certain that it would be very, very young, that it skews young. Because those behaviors, the lip singing, the karaoke, the sort of very participative short form video tends to skew very young. Are we talking about tweens? Are we 18 to 24s? I'm not sure it's even as old as 18 to 24s. I think it'd probably be younger. That was certainly the demo for Musical.ly. And it might, it might matter what country you're in. So here in the U.S., I'm sure it skews much, much lower. I'm not so certain what's going on in India or in China, where there may be a, an older demographic, because they've started this earlier and they've aged, those cohorts have sort of aged it up. It becomes part of their norm and they carry that through. Right, right. Interesting evolution. Are there any other services like TikTok out there that are up and coming? TikTok is, is sucking all the oxygen out of the room right now. They're just blowing up like crazy. I mean, there was Vine before that. I'm sure there's other short-form video ones. Competitors uh, are being launched. There's karaoke apps, for example, WeSing, which is launched by Tencent, which is their version of a, of a karaoke app. But TikTok has got the sort of center stage right now. Companies like TikTok, they're no longer just based in Silicon Valley or, say, Cambridge. This is a global industry. What countries are some of the leaders within this industry? A lot of the uh, energy is coming out of Southeast Asia, East Asia, and China in particular, where there are enormous user bases, highly mobile, huge mobile penetration, 
uh, strong, strong broadband, mobile, uh, at least in the coastal cities and the major cities, and a lot of capital flowing into the companies that are doing this. Certainly, uh, ByteDance being the example is the owner of, of, uh, of TikTok is one example. But there's other tech companies that are in this space as well, not necessarily short video, but in the streaming space. They are very large, they are very well run, and some of them are expanding globally. Tencent is a great example. Tencent is one of those Chinese companies that actually has its roots in something that has nothing to do with music. Tencent uh, began as a gaming and social media company, and in fact still own the number one social media platform in China called WeChat, which has something like 800 million users. is a very, very powerful. So it, it's hard to describe WeChat to people that aren't familiar with it because it does so much. If you can imagine a combination of Facebook, Twitter, Skype, YouTube, Spotify, and uh, PayPal, all wrapped into sort of an absolutely seamless experience. That's kind of what WeChat is. The company that has this is also one of the largest mobile gaming companies in the world. Tencent is huge. And they, in fact, have invested uh, large stakes in all the other gaming companies in the world. They own a, a big chunk of Blizzard and EA and a few others. And they have a whole part of the app that deals with e-commerce and mobile payment. So you think about all those things vertically integrated in, in one company and in one app. And part of that is music. So they are very, very powerful players. Is, is music just the gateway drug to bring them into that? I'm not sure uh, it's the gateway, but it's part of the package to get you to get into their ecosystem and stay in it. Whether you're ordering a cab, because you can actually pay for cabs and pay for rides with this, or you can pay your taxes in some cities with it, or you're playing a a mobile game, or you're WeChatting with your friends, or you're streaming a video. I think it's just part of that whole vertically integrated uh, media experience that they want you to have in in their social media space. Now, you said this is a Chinese product. Has it expanded past the Middle Kingdom? It has, although they haven't come to the U.S. except to the New York Stock Exchange to be publicly traded as Tencent Music. They spun off the music and what they call social entertainment stuff into Tencent Music uh, with an IPO last year. I think it's about a $30 billion valuation. It's, But yeah, they, they are expanding to, mostly through Southeast Asia. They have a music streaming app called Jukes, J-O-O-X which is hugely popular in uh, Hong Kong, Thailand, Indonesia, and uh, Vietnam. So they have sort of, in fact, it's knocked out the local uh, streaming services in those, uh, in those markets. So that's a huge thing that, they, that they've rolled out, and I think they'll continue to do that. They don't seem to have set their sights on, on the U.S. market, but that could change. One of the things that might change it is the fact that Universal Music, the world's largest music label, which is owned by a multinational called Vivendi. Vivendi has decided to sell 50% of Universal Music. And among the buyers who are interested in buying half of the catalog of the world's largest record label and publishing company is Tencent. It's interesting. Someone once said the consolidation of capital will lead to the redundancy of the worker. And we're (laughs) seeing that same concept come to fruition through streaming as this huge conglomerate out of China, which is all-encompassing its own ecosystem, expands its tentacles into Southeast Asia and possibly into the U.S. and Europe. It's worth mentioning, though, that it's not at all monolithic. They have very strong competitors in China. They also tend to be companies with their roots in something other than media or music. For example, Alibaba, 
which is kind of the Chinese version of, of Amazon. It's a, it was a business-to-business e-commerce store that then moved into business-to-consumer, and it is huge. They have a music streaming service. They own one of the largest video streaming services. They're competing to keep people into their they – have, they have a mobile payment service. They are competing to put people into their ecosystem. Baidu, which is the, the Google of China, the big search engine, also has a music streaming service, also has interests in those other things, and is trying to do the same thing. NetEase, which is the fourth largest music streaming service there, is actually its own company, started out as a gaming company, and now has evolved into the fourth largest music streaming company in China. It's not as if that battle is not being fought by um, some strong competitors, as it is here. Those companies have different strategies for international expansion, but I think probably the most aggressive of them at this point is is Tencent. We spoke earlier about Netflix, Disney, and Amazon, how they all create their own content. And now we're approaching a time when they will be siloed, that if you want to see your sports, you'll have to stream through one service. If you want to see your kids' shows, you'll have to stream from a completely different service and have two subscriptions. When we look over at China, at these huge conglomerates, which are essentially lifestyle conglomerates that have every avenue for your digital entertainment, your digital life, would what form of content be available at Alibaba? Would it also be available in Keep, and et cetera, et cetera? Do they cross-pollinate with content, or are they completely siloed with their content? Uh, I can speak to the music part of that uh, more than the video part. I think on the video side, there's user-generated, and they all have their own sort of plays with user-generated content, some of it short form, as we discussed, some of it uh, longer form, and then investing in creation of media. So they all invest in creating motion pictures. You'll see uh, Alibaba or, or Tencent money in a lot of Hollywood productions, for example. On the, on the audio side, there was initially a big scramble to sign the big stars up to exclusive contracts by these competitors. So I've got the big idol competition winner, or I've got the big K-pop singer, or I've got this person, and you can only get it on our service. And there is still some of that. I've talked to Chinese nationals who are like, yeah, I have to have these two services because my favorite stars are on different ones. But increasingly, that's less and less the case. The government has actually stepped in and started to nudge them towards cross-licensing agreements because, and again, it's always important to remember that the government is a huge player in anything in business in China. And they get that there needs to be a healthy musical ecosystem. And in order for that to happen, there has to be good copyright protections. And in order for that to happen, for this business ecosystem to happen, you can't really have competitors standing on each other's air pipes and doing these exclusive deals. So they're nudging them to not do that. And in fact, Tencent, which had an exclusive deal with Universal, Sony, and, um, and Warner's, was cross-licensing content to NetEase and to Baidu Music and to some of their competitors. But there's still a little bit of that, we've got the exclusive star stuff going on. And that'll probably fade over time. If I understand the scenario we've created here in China, we have independent but very complete ecosystem for digital content. In the U.S., we've got a series of different streaming services that offer content, but it's really limited to the content they're streaming. So whereas the Chinese are actually much more evolved, much more sophisticated because they have that ecosystem, we just have essentially an avenue to some content. Yeah, I think it, it's it's very different here because streaming, and I'll speak to music streaming especially, evolved in a very different environment. It's useful to remember that there was very little copyright protection in the 90s and early aughts in China. It was wide open. It was just music was just pirated 
at the same time here in the United States, when the Internet started taking off, you had the major labels suing college students for millions of dollars for running a server under their desk in their dorm room. Very different environment. In that very highly policed and litigious copyright environment, a lot of companies didn't want to get involved in music streaming because it was just too ugly. It was just too messy, and you wound up getting sued by the labels, and, the, and then the labels would charge you an arm and a leg for them. It was just people avoided it. At that time in China, a lot of these big tech companies, the gaming and social media companies, were thriving and were looking for things to expand their ecosystem, and there was music. So music was freely available and became part of their ecosystem organically. Now you've got this situation here where you've got Spotify, you've got Pandora, you've got Apple Music. These are standalone services. And to integrate them into a social media service or into a gaming platform is a hell of a lot harder than what happened in China where they were organically part of it originally. Well, I would say it's, it's an approach that was informed by the, the copyright environment and the risks associated with that. They developed in their own silos here because the copyright environment was very strict and it would be very difficult for them to do so otherwise. And the people who might have absorbed them into it weren't interested in it. Facebook wasn't running around saying, let me buy Pandora. They're like, no, I'm doing my social media thing. Okay. Whereas over there, they had WeChat with 800 million users. Like, well, yeah, why not put music into that as well? And now here we are, where a lot of the large companies are looking at this and saying, I see where this is going. Music is a social experience. Especially younger people look at music as a social thing and as a very participatory thing. Old people like to listen to it passively while they do something else. But that's not the whole game here, especially with younger audiences. So we need to get more social. We need to get better at that. And it's going to be very difficult, I would argue, for them for them to do that. And certainly very difficult for them to get to anything approaching what exists in China today. So you could, you could make the argument that Facebook should buy Spotify. And in fact, they've kind of danced around about integrating playlist capability. They've done some sort of things that have sort of experimented with what that integration might look like. I don't think any of them have been game-changing or particularly smooth because they're just such different companies and different missions and different cultures. It's difficult for them to do. But you could see on a business thing, yeah, okay, let's, 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 let's make it social. Let's have Facebook, which is many times larger, acquire this company and, and bolt it on. It's an amazing expansion, consolidation, and evolution of a variety of different technology-related industries that are coming together these days. I think it's more likely that instead of Facebook buying Spotify and bolting it on, that something interesting might happen with this short-form video that would expand into the passive listening of music. Professor Bob Lyons, give our audience a couple of takeaways. Uh, one takeaway around the, the Chinese music streaming would be just to understand how huge it is. There's 15 services although the most market share is among the big four, and the top three of those are owned by one company, Tencent. But it's useful to, rem to remember that just one of those three, Kugo, has more listeners than Spotify. So one out of the 15 has more listeners globally than Spotify. Spotify is about 140 million, Kugo is about 230 million to one. So just the scale of it is worth understanding. And that, by the way, is you know three times the subscribers to Apple Music. I guess another thing would be that the Chinese apps are not pure plays. They're not just about listening passively to music, that they tend to be integrated with social media, with uh, gaming, with mobile payment, with uh, all kinds of other services that are available through a mobile phone. So they tend to be part of an ecosystem of services, which is very different from what, the way it is here. 
A third, third takeaway is kind of the wild card of these new short-form, highly participative, music-centric services like TikTok, that these have exploded onto the scenes with massive global audiences in a way that uses music for quite a bit of it, but not in a way that is common here and is very socially driven. And that, I think, is a trend and a phenomenon that bears watching either because of the way it will shape behaviors for future listeners or for the way that it might wind up stealing market share from some of the music streaming services if it decides to evolve in that direction. You've been listening to Campus on the Common. We spoke with Rob Lyons, an expert in streaming services and professor at Emerson College. I'm your host, Mark Brody. We had engineering support from David Craighead and editorial direction from Andrew Cassidy. Campus on the Common is a production of Emerson College School of Communications. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.